0: I was talking once to a chap who was uh, very much a golfer and talking to him about well what what do you think will happen when you die and his attitude was well I'll go to that great golf course in the sky okay all right another time I was talking with a chap who used to race motorbikes and uh, we were talking about heaven and, oh, I don't believe in heaven, don't believe in God. Well, what what, what do you believe? What, What is going to be there for you after you die? Oh, I'll go to that great uh, motorbike racing um, track in the sky. Okay, all right. Another time I was talking to a lady and uh, she was one of these ladies who loves to shop, loves to shop. She didn't believe in God but she told me that when she dies she's going to that great big shopping centre in the sky you know what I mean have you had conversations like this where people take their favourite idea that they enjoy in this life and they project it as to be life after death you know what I mean yes you there, be quiet. (laughs) Um, I hope you're not thinking of that great golf course in the sky, or the great shopping center in the sky, because what God actually tells us is that heaven is a holy city. It is the city of God, and that's what I want to talk with you about today. As we begin, let me ask you a question. Whoops. I have power. Bruce, could you advance the next screen, please? I think it might have locked up. Well, how many here have ever had the privilege of visiting Jerusalem? Hands high, please. Hands high, good, good, okay, a few of you. I have never, hence my hands were down here. However, how many of you would like to visit Jerusalem? Okay, all right, well, when you decide to go, you can take me with you, all right? And uh, hopefully all expenses paid, please. You know, it is one of my dreams to one day walk the streets that Jesus walked, to visit the Garden of Gethsemane, to look across the Kidron Valley to the walls of the ancient city and to the city skyline. I've seen plenty of pictures. I've talked with plenty of people who have done exactly that and it has not satisfied me. I really, really want to have that experience myself, if the Lord wills. For many, the city of Jerusalem is often called the city of God. The city of God. In fact, the description of Jerusalem as the city of God, is only found twice in the Bible. Did you know that? In Psalm 87, verse 3, we read, Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, as the psalmist looked across at the city. And in Psalm 48, 1, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. And having said this, it's also been described as the city of David over 40 times. And as a matter of interest, it's also referred to as Zion or the city of Zion over 160 times. Did you know that the word Zion actually means fortification? the city of fortification. And it expresses the idea of the city of Jerusalem being a stronghold raised up as a monument to God, a city that is a stronghold for God. Now, these various expressions for the city of Jerusalem were used to describe how God is Present with his people. You come to Jerusalem, you come into the presence of God. God is with you. That's the imagery that's being conveyed. It's an idea that was further strengthened when Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem and where the Ark of the Covenant resided. 1 Kings 6.19 is your reference. But all this is merely a picture, an image, a parable, if you would, of something even greater in God's purposes and plans. Jerusalem as the city of God, the, the place of where you can come and meet with God, was an, an imagery or an illustration of, of something that God had revealed that was even greater. As his creation, we are subject to God. God is the one true creator God of the universe. He is the giver and sustainer of life. He is almighty, all-knowing, and all-present. And God is above all and over all. He is captive to no one and cannot be manipulated by our carnal will. That is important to realize because in many different cultures around the world throughout centuries, throughout millennia, different people groups have had this awareness that there is a God But they don't know who this God is. So, what they do, they make a God in their own image. They worship that. And in so doing, they seek to manipulate that image of their understanding of God. They don't realize the utter transcendency of God above everything. And so as we read the Bible, we see a picture of Jerusalem as an image of something that leads you into a presence and an understanding of God that is far greater than the human mind can really comprehend. But this is in direct contrast to the many gods that have been created by many different people groups over many centuries. They have made their gods of wood or stone or plaster to secure their cities or their immediate locations like a mountain, a forest or a river. When we lived in Xi'an in China we used to walk in the central part of the city along Qidajie, Big West Street and There was a wall. It was looking dilapidated. It was old. And there was big wooden gates. And they were always closed. And they were in need of renovation. The whole thing was really dilapidated. And we wondered when it was going to be all pulled down and going to build a high tower or something. And then one day we were walking along and we saw this wall. We saw the gates, And one of the gates was opened 18 inches. Guess what I did? I couldn't help myself. I had to see what had been behind this wall all those years. And so I poked my head around No one else was there around, outside the wall or inside. I poked my head around, and we sort of found ourselves stepping in. And Cheryl came with me, so it's her fault. (laughs) And inside, there were weeds, it was overgrown, there was old dilapidated buildings. We didn't know what it was. So I did some research, and I found out that it was an old... Taoist temple, an old Taoist temple. And when um, the communists took over in China in the 1950s, one of the things that Mao ordered was all of those places to be shut because he was communist, he was atheist. So he tried to obliterate Buddhism and Taoism. Now they destroyed many temples but the ones that were too big, they just boarded up. And this temple was one that they boarded up. They closed the doors. It had, the doors had been closed for nearly 60 years until that day that we saw the gate 18 inches open. It wasn't long after that that we noticed that it was being cleaned up repairs were being made. The workers were in there. It took them about two years to fully refurbish the place, and the doors were opened because it was a tourist attraction. And inside, you went through the gate archway, the then the Chinese gate, then you had service buildings on the side, then you had a, a building at the end. You walked through that and then there was another building and that's where there was the god of Xi'an. And this is a picture of the god of Xi'an. My understanding is that it was based on one of the early emperors of China and he was deified and made the protector of the city. And this is a statue. I don't know, um, I don't know what his name was, but he was the one that they would worship. And of course, Taoism now is reinstituted in China, and you can go and you can burn your sticks and you have the, the sticks that you pick out that tell you your fortune and everything like that. The god of Xi'an to protect the city. But the people would manipulate this God supposedly with their requests and their offerings and their sticks of incense. They weren't obedient to the God. The God was obedient to them. Different from Jerusalem. As the people of Israel came to know and understand who God truly is in all his wonder and majesty everything that they did to honor and glorify him on earth was as a reflection of what they understood of God in heaven and they realized they could not manipulate God they had to submit They therefore fashioned and built Jerusalem as a holy city to reflect the holiness of God. To try and give some understanding for the people of really what God is like. With a physical presence of of the city of Jerusalem was understood to be an ever-present reminder to the people of the presence and imminence of God with them wherever they were. God was not restricted to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was just where you came to experience the magnificence and the holiness of God. They knew wherever they went, God was with them. He would not forsake them. As pilgrims would walk up to Jerusalem they would look up to the hill and they would see the city reflected in the sun. It gave them the sense that they were walking toward heaven itself and into the presence of God who dwelt in his holy temple. Truly it was a spiritual experience for the people. Yes, they were coming to Jerusalem, but spiritually, they were coming into the presence of God. Even today, for so many people, there is this sense that the city of Jerusalem is one small step away from heaven itself. And even the psalmist in Psalm 46.4 four played on this imagery of the city of Jerusalem being a picture of heaven these are the verses these are the words he said there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high you see Jerusalem but heaven this is what it's really like it's not a golf course it's not a racing track Not a shopping center. It's a place of worship and adoration of God. And it is this imagery that gave rise to the words of the Apostle John when he wrote of the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 3, chapter uh, verse 12, he who overcomes I will, this is the word of God, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and I will write on him my new name. We've been talking over the last few months about the foundations building a foundation on God. The ultimate foundation is established by God himself in heaven. And then in Revelation 21 verse 2, then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her All this imagery speaks to us of one important reality. The city of God is an expression for the dwelling presence of God. It is that place where God has all authority, all power, and all responsibility for the welfare of those who abide with him. It is an imagery that looks to a time when the things that we know in the here and now will be called the former things. It will be a time when the work of God in our midst will be completed and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, and no more dying and crying. All those will be the former things. This understanding of the city of God or heaven remains part of the hope and the expectation of all those who acknowledge Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. It is in the act of surrender or submission to the sovereign authority of God that we no longer look to the principalities and powers of this world. We no longer look to politics or philosophy to solve all the issues of life and give us a hope and a future. Let's face it, over the past 100 years, with all the different political expressions, whether it's democracy, autocracy, whether it's uh, communism, whether it's fascism, all these different expressions of, demo- of um, pol- policy, politics, have they solved the problems of today and brought peace to the nations of the world? No. Have all the philosophies, existentialism, humanism, um, nihilism, you name them all, have they given answer to the problems of the people today? We have more mental illness now than ever before And that's with record amounts of money being poured into mental illness in our medical system. Politics and philosophy do not solve the problems of today. On the cross of the Lord Jesus, God has disarmed the principalities and the powers of this world. And he has won the victory over the present corrupting forces of sin and death. Colossians 2, 11 to 23 is your reference there. In our reading in Hebrews 11, we read of the faith of those who looked to the sovereignty of God in their lives and how they were able to accomplish so much for God. They didn't look to the things of the world. They, look, they looked to God himself. Their vision was not fixed on the things of the world, but on all that God has in store for us beyond this temporary mortal existence. As we read in Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not who seek him. Not who seek him only on a Sunday. Not who seek him when things are going bad for them. But who diligently seek him. And that's talking in terms of consistency, day by day, moment by moment, making God first priority in your life. Brothers and sisters... Politics will not solve the problems. Philosophy will not solve the problems. Science will not solve all the problems of, med- of medical health conditions of today. We're still all going to die. We're still all going to suffer from things like strokes and heart failures and cancers and numerous other maladies. Science is not going to solve those problems. They might delay our death a little bit. Instead of dying at 70, we might die at 85. Some are hoping for 100. That'd be nice. Until the Lord comes again. It is only faith in God where you will find the real answers. In our reading, we read of the faith witness of some of the ancients, people like Abel, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham. And in each situation, their faith enabled them to see things from God's perspective. And that's why we go and join a Bible study group. We read what God has said in the Bible. We seek to understand what God is saying in the Bible. We discuss what God has revealed to us in the Bible so that we start to see life and our life from God's perspective, not from the world's perspective. The world's perspective simply says... Go to Harvey Norman, there's a 55-centimetre colour TV and you deserve it. If that's all they've got to offer, goodness. In each situation, these ancients, their faith enabled them to see life from God's perspective. Abraham faithfully obeyed God when he was commanded to leave his father's home and to travel to an unknown place which God had appointed for him and his descendants as an inheritance. It would be a place where his children and his children's children would make their homes and become a nation of people. It was a place where they would build their farms, their towns, and their cities. And Abraham stepped out in faith. God said it. He did it. That's all that mattered. He left the rest to God. In verse 10, we read of Abraham, for he, Abraham, waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And he was talking about Jerusalem. Abraham had a dream of one day that his descendants would live in the city of Jerusalem and he had a hope that that would be, in a sense, a stepping stone to the heavenly city. A city which God himself would establish and in which his people would dwell. Like the ancients, we are all but mere sojourners and pilgrims on this earth. We are all aliens. Lowei. Is that right? Lowei. Old outsider? Lowei. I missed it by that (laughs) much. We used to hop on buses and little kids would say to their mums or dads, Lao Wai! Wai! We knew what it meant. We're happy to be pilgrims and sojourners and Lao Wai. Thank you. Yes. Because we have our material, emotional, and spiritual hopes and dreams for our children, but it's not in the things of this world. We hope that they will do well in their life and prosper despite the many hardships, challenges and distractions of life. But we also hope that they will not only look at this world but will cast their vision beyond. This world is not the final answer. Our hope is that they will look to God and see that all that is of this material world is but a poor reflection of what God has in store for us. That the cities of this world, with all the amenities and facilities of life, are but a poor reflection of the city of God that is yet to be revealed. And as Abraham was directed to live in the land of promise as part of his inheritance from God, so we are mere Pilgrims living in this world as we await our eternal inheritance as well. The example of the ancients is one of faith and trust in God. In verses 13 and 16, we read these words. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar, were assured of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Brothers and sisters, it all raises a very important question. For what do you hope today? What is the hope of your life? You're not just living moment by moment. You've got hopes and dreams. What is your hope today? Is your hope invested in the things of this world or in those things that God has promised as an eternal inheritance for those who put their trust in him? for those who diligently and earnestly seek him. Is your hope in the world or is your hope in God? In the coming of the Lord Jesus, God has given us a glimpse of what it will mean to live in perfect union with God. He's given us a glimpse of what it will mean to live in the true city of God. In the midst of cruel oppression and unjust treatment in this world, the Lord Jesus showed us the way of forgiveness and love. In the midst of sadness and suffering, he has shown us the way of long-suffering and endurance. In the midst of hatred and violence, Jesus has shown us the way of gentleness and peace. In the midst of great confusion and uncertainty, Jesus has shown us the way of patience and, and joy. In the midst of selfishness and greed, he has shown us the way of kindness and goodness. And in the midst of emotional upheaval and pain, he has shown us the way of faithfulness and hope. Jesus has shown us the way of what heaven of what the true city of God will be like. In all these things, the Lord Jesus has revealed what it will be like to live in fellowship and union with God when His holy city is fully revealed, when it comes down and is finally established and we are invited to join with Him. Enter in true and faithful servant. Brothers and sisters, for what do you hope today? My prayer is that our hope will be invested in the revelation of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to him I pray. It is for his word written that I study that I may be conformed and transformed every day to his likeness. My prayer is that we will allow him to have full sway in our lives and prepare and fit us for our heavenly habitation. In the upper room on the night of his last supper with his disciples, the Lord Jesus prepared them for what was to come. He prayed for them and encouraged them all that they, that they would face in the days ahead. He assured them with these words from John 14. Chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 14, verses 2, verses 4 to 6. In my Father's house are many mansions. These are the words of Jesus. He was either a liar or he is someone that you invest your whole life in. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go... You know, and the way you know. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. That is what Jesus said. If you do not believe that, you call him a liar and you live with the consequences of that decision. If you do believe that, if you do believe that he is God incarnate, God present with us, God revealing the way for us, then you cannot just go 50%. It's got to be 100% commitment. God doesn't want just half of you. He wants the whole of you. And certainly, I want the whole of him in my life. Brothers and sisters, may these words of the Lord Jesus give you all courage and strength as you live your lives in this very temporary packaging and prepare yourself to begin your true life with the Lord Jesus in his holy city. It will come.
1: hearts all the time and uh, I want to close with uh, before I invite you to stand to our closing song I have a quote that I want to give to you which I thought is very appropriate to finish it off with uh, today's session um, it's by C.S. Lewis just in case you don't know C.S. means Clive Staple Lewis uh, he says this I say, he said creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires actually exists A baby feels hunger, well, there is such a thing called food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there is such a thing as sex. But if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation Is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Isn't it beautiful? That in the future, whatever, because our fallen creatures, we, we will be falling short. But there is a hope of future where justice will be served. Everything will be perfect because we worship a perfect God. Shall we stand as we close this morning's service with this song again, uh, Cornerstone? <laughs>
2: built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness i dare not trust the sweetest frame but holy trust in jesus name. my hope is built Nothing less Than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust The sweetest friend But wholly trust in Jesus' name Christ alone Call the stone We is strong in the Savior's love, through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace. we high. shall come with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in Him be found, Dressed in His righteousness alone, For fallen stand before the throne.
0: go with the strength of God may he fill your life with his presence his joy, his love, his grace his mercy may you go forth in the name of Jesus and reveal him to all you meet not only in your spoken word but in your living actions may you be the presence of Jesus for those who do not yet know him. In his precious name, amen.